0: Well, what does the future hold? If you know, let me know, and I'll invest in the stock market and the ones you know. That is a big question on the minds of many people. What does the future hold? And the reactions of many people really vary. In Christian circles, a large discussion, although I'd have to say I think it's really decreasing now, many Christians seem to be living more for today than anything else, But a large discussion concerns the future as it pertains to the coming or the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So right out of the box, in this very highly debatable passage that we're about to enter tonight, let's just say this. All Orthodox Christians believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. So no matter where you stand on this, That is something that people believe in. The obsession comes with the timing and the dates. Sadly, for some people, it is to the point of arrogance. While others, it has made them fearful. Others have just thrown their hands up and become indifferent about it. None of those things, I think, is what the Lord would desire for his people. We can debate the timing Uh, But the plan is clear, as is the ultimate fate of, of every person who ever lived. The ultimate fate of every person who ever lived is some people are going to go to heaven, some people are going to go to hell, and the Lord is returning. That is crystal clear in the Scriptures. The passage in front of us, again, has stirred a lot of controversy because it mentions what we call the rapture of the church, a word that is not in the Bible, but there's a lot of words that we use that are not in the Bible. I don't even think the word Bible's in the Bible, <laughs> except on the front cover. And so we want to really, uh, you know, uh, we come from various backgrounds, a lot of us. Some of you are newer to the faith, so you're like, I don't even know why I have to know any of this stuff. And others of us, we come from different backgrounds and we we bring that in with us. And the the word rapture, The terminology refers to the snatching away of believers from the earth. And one of the reasons why there's a big debate, the debate's been going on for centuries, is it's created a whole industry. Uh, Particularly at the end of the last century, there was all these, these guys and there was, you know, they used to sell these things called cassette tapes. How many of you ever heard of a cassette tape? Wow, older some of you, <laughs> right? Have you heard of a cassette tape? Okay, yeah, she saw it in a museum once, right? And so, uh, <laughs> and 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 cassette tapes, eight tracks. Now you're really old, <laughs> right? And uh, it's funny. They say the best sound still comes from LPs, from from records. Isn't that funny? But uh, but and so that this whole industry has been uh, produced by that and in the apostle paul's short time in Thessalonica where he founded the church and then he had to get out of town because he got they were the authorities were after him it appears that he told the Thessalonians about the return of Jesus Christ now we think that's the last thing you want to tell new believers but the Apostle Paul put it uh, on on the front end, and it appears when he was, uh, you know, he had left town that, and he sent the his protege or pastor Timothy back to visit the church or the churches in the area. It appears that there was some confusion regarding this issue, and the question seems to be this: What happened if the Lord was returning? What happened to the people in our church who already died before Jesus returned? That that seems to be their question. Did, did they miss the transport? Was it beam me up, Scotty? And were they not in the right place? Did they not have their, 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 their little things charged or something like that? What, what happened with that? And around the same time, some false teachers were going around, and they were teaching in writing that Jesus had already came. And so some of these people were kind of crazed out that, oh, no, I missed the boat, and now I'm stuck here on earth. We've said this many times before, and to me, it's something that really bears repeating when we study the Bible. The Apostle Paul was a task theologian, meaning he writes his letters, and this is one of his earliest one or two, and I'm a believer in progressive revelation, so we're at the very beginning here of his, his thinking about this and his writing about this. But what a task theologian means, he is writing addressing the task at hand. He is writing addressing the questions of the recipients of his letters, not creating an end times ministry, not creating some sort of write a, writing a book on just one subject. Timothy comes back with the question, What happened to the people who already died? And the Apostle Paul says, We got to answer them with that. We have to answer them with that. Uh, Here, he frustrates a lot of Bible readers because his goal here seems to be more the hope of his readers than the nuances of eschatology. Well, you say, what in the world is eschatology? That is the study of the end times or the last things. In other words, the Apostle Paul is answering the questions the Thessalonians have, and apparently God wants answered at this point and this evening, not all of the questions we have. Do we understand that? That's, the, that's what's going on here in this letter. Now, it seems to me that in chapter 4, is, uh, it's related a lot to the prayer of chapter 3. Now, it's always important to remember that chapter 3 comes before chapter 4. And, and so he was praying for certain things for them. And then he, as he moves into chapter 4, remember he began with purity. That was the Lord's will for their life. Not knowing exactly the day and the hour when he was coming, but it was purity. And then he moved into a way to live their life. Basically, he said, work hard, lead a quiet life, do do the work of the Lord. Now, while some might say he's moving into his end times uh, kind of thinking, he's really moving into strengthening their faith and their hope, which was, again, part of the prayer in chapter 3. So how is he going to do it in the midst of some people who are grieving the loss of their loved ones and in the midst of all of the end times theories that were no doubt starting to circulate? Well, the way he does it to me is he does it very simply and he does it very profoundly. He reminds them of the truths That they already know. He reminds them of the truths that they already believe. Let's do it for all of us here. Most of us here, if you're not there yet, we hope and pray you get there soon. But he's telling the people, we believe in the cross. We believe in the resurrection. That's what we know. Then he's going to point them forward to the wonderful promise of the return of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, let's look back to what we already know, and let's look forward to what we are expecting. Now, in order to get a better handle or understanding of the end of chapter four here, uh, which actually will continue into chapter five, when he talks about another thing called the day of the Lord, uh, let's look at. Uh, which sometimes the Bible writers use this. We saw that in Mark's Gospel, he used it a lot. You could call it bookends. We also call it in theological terms, not a very fancy word, sandwiching. So, what what are bookends? They're things at the end that hold the books together. What it, what is a sandwich now for you bread people? You're like, oh, it's the best part. Okay, fine. That's what my wife says something. Yeah, well, that's not the best part. <laughs> okay, so but what is the sandwich? It's the bread that holds stuff in between. Right? So so we, let's let's look at the bookends. Let's look at the sandwich. So look at verse 13. He says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Now Let's just stop for one second and just think about a very, very basic thing and look at the words he uses to describe theological inaccuracy. Look at what theological inaccuracy breeds in people, what a failure to understand death of a believer can lead people to. What what does it lead them to? Ignorance? sorrow, and no hope. Now, we don't want to be any of those things, do we? So, so he's saying to them, I don't, want you to, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to, uh, you know, another, uh, there's other words that we could use for that. I don't want you to be unaware. And, I, and I, don't want you to, I don't want you to have sorrow in places where you don't have sorrow. Yes, you should sorrow over the loss of someone, but don't sorrow that you're never going to see them again. Don't sorrow that they missed the transport. And I don't want you to live your life with no hope. I don't want you to be people who think, oh, my goodness, they're gone. That's it. They're dead. They're in the ground. And I'm never going to see them again. Now let's jump to the other bookend. Verse 18. Therefore, comfort. Another version says, encourage one another with these words. Well, what words? Well, it's the words in between. It's the words of verse 14 through 17, which has caused a lot of controversy among followers of Jesus. Now, this is where it saddens me. How sad is that, that the Lord wants his words to comfort and they are creating controversy. So, the Lord wants his people to study the word of God carefully, which is becoming a lost art in our country. And he wants them to be comforted and encouraged. He wants this section to unite his people because he's going to make the case that we are united forever, no matter which view you take. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ, we we are family. We are united together. This is not something that's going to send people that they have the right view on the timing of Jesus' return. And so here, very important to see, people are sad. They're sad. He's not forming an end-times ministry. What is he doing? He's pastoring them. He's being a pastor. That's why after we lost some dear, beloved friends, I didn't get up and say, okay, well, got to keep with the schedule. Got a schedule to keep. Got to keep with Matthew. You know, places to go, things to do. Want to get on with it, right? No, you got to stop. I say, let's, let's stop for a second. Let's take an inventory. Let's talk about this. Let's, let's think about what we're going through, what others are going through. Let's talk about how we talk to people about it. So he's not doing an end times ministry here. He goes from, I don't want you to be in this place of no hope, to I want you to be comforted. I want you to be encouraged. And so at least, no matter where I, what I say the rest of the night, will you at least agree with me? That's where he wants to take us. That's where he wants to take us. So let's listen to Pastor Paul, verse 13 again. But I do not want you to be ignorant. Again, some verses say uninformed, brethren, Christians, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died since I left, died, you know, when you were expecting Jesus to return, lest you sorrow. Some versions say grieve, as others who have no hope. Now, First and Second Thessalonians make it clear that these followers of Jesus thought that Jesus would return in their lifetime, and that has been the predominant thought of almost every generation of Christians since the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven. Now, we could say, hey, well, they're all self-centered. Or it could be that's something that God has programmed in us, that God wants us to live with an expectancy of his return, not running around with all these theories, oh, it's never going to get any worse than this. You and I all know it could get a lot worse than this. It could get a lot worse than this. So so we're not, we're not thinking about those kinds of things, but every generation has thought that their generation was the one, and why not? So, so if you think, is, is this generation, is our generation the one, is that good or bad? Well, that depends upon what you do with it. If, if, if you're thinking the Lord could return at any moment, and that's causing you to dig deeper into your faith, causing you to dig deeper into the work of the Lord, causing you to endure trials because you want to be found faithful to the end, if that's causing you to evangelize people, not being some you know, weirdo, but just telling people the good news of Jesus Christ, that is all good. That is all good. But if you think he's coming back tomorrow and it makes you lazy, that's why I told them go back to work in the last section, if it makes you lazy in work, if it makes you lazy in faith, if it makes you lazy in the work of the Lord, if it makes you indifferent to those people who don't know Jesus Christ, is that good? That's not good at all. In fact, in my opinion, it's sinful. Not only just sinful, that's very sinful. Because that is not the way the Lord wants you to live. And besides the fact, you don't want him to come back if that's the way you're living. Now, when we get to Matthew 24 and 25, we'll see that we'll talk more about the imminent, imminent, any moment return of Jesus Christ. God has put that in us. God has put that in the Bible, I believe, to create a sense of urgency in us. Somebody came up to me uh, who was had visited here a few times, and they said, one of the things I really have come to appreciate about you, and they had heard me on the radio, and they said, you preach with urgency. And I said, you better believe it, (laughs) right? Because we're all going to meet the Lord really soon. It could happen in a variety of ways, but (laughs) we're going to meet him pretty soon. And, And it's tough to see and to hear that many followers of Jesus are lazy, we don't have that many of them around here. I, I, guess, I think they don't fit in. And they're like, we should probably leave this place. And, and they're not about the things of the Lord as they should be. And, and there's a lot of talk and not a lot of walk. And there's a lot of people like that. Also seems to me that the, that the delay in Jesus' return is making a lot of Christians more worldly that is the exact opposite of what the Lord wants. The Lord doesn't want it to make us more worldly. He wants, he wants his, the possibility of his quick return to make us more aware that we have to be about it. That, that we've, got to, we've got to get to it. We don't have long. Now, when the apostle says, I don't want you to be ignorant or I don't want you to be uninformed, what, what you're like, oh my gosh, what is he? What is that? That's like that's what ignorance such a bad word does. He's basically saying. Pay careful attention to what I'm about to say. And he begins by talking about those who have fallen asleep. Common term in the ancient word and the word of God for ancient world and the word of God for those who died. Now, to some people, what does it mean when they die? Some people, well, you're dead and you go in the ground, and that's it. Other people believe in, in reincarnation. Uh, today a lot of people just say, oh, they're in a better place. I go to a lot of funerals. I, I really, really. Want, I just. I don't say it, but inside, I'm going. So, where is that place? To Jehovah's Witness and, and Seventh Day Adventists, it means that uh, they go into soul sleep. They're in this unconscious state uh, after they die. But this is not what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches the eternal consciousness of every person. In other words, both believers and unbelieving people never cease to exist. 1 Corinthians uh, 15.42, I'll, I'll read it twice. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Now, this is a promise to believers. So we might say, it says here, so also the resurrection of the dead, the body is sown in Corruption. So he could be saying at the very least that, that our, our, our physical body is, if you will, asleep. But spiritually, at the very least, we're, we're not asleep. And, and it's raised in incorruption. So the, the illustration goes something like this. You, you ever take a seed and plant it in the ground? And I don't mean when you're in college and you were growing illegal substances. Um, but when you, you put a seed, why are you laughing? <laughs> But you put a seed, and it goes in the ground. And let's say you're planting flowers, and a beautiful flower comes up. So your body goes in the ground, if you will, in, in corruption, but it is raised in incorruption. So what goes in the ground is nothing compared to what's going to come out of the ground. But the logical question, what about the spirit? Where does it go? 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, For a follower of Jesus, we are confident Yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord, so at the very least, we go in a spiritual state from our body immediately to be with the lord so so when we when we see someone who's laid out in a casket, they're not there, that's just their shell, that's their tent, that's their casing, if you will uh, that's at the very least. Jesus said this luke 23 43 to the thief on the cross assuredly I say to you today you will be with me in paradise now those of you who are a little more theologically minded could get into could say well is it a spiritual body um, some people would say they already have their physical bodies because they live out of time you can sit about that stuff talk about it at the diner don't send me any emails on it because I'm busy <laughs> <laughs> Philippians 121 through 23 for me to live is Christ and to die is gain but if i live in the flesh this will mean fruit from my labor so if i stay here fruit from my work for the lord yet what shall i choose i cannot tell for i am hard pressed between the two having a desire to depart and be with christ which is far better that's why we don't hold on to this world so tightly why because the next world is far better far better some people they live, this is it. I, I feel so bad for them. People say to me, That's it. You die, you go in the ground, and that's it. Then I lose all sense of my manners at that point. I say, So what's going on in your life? And they tell me, I'm like, that's it? Like, really? Like, where's the excitement? If this is it, where's the excitement? So what about unbelieving people? Luke sixteen, twenty two and twenty three. Jesus says, so it was that the beggar died in faith, he was, if you know the story of Lazarus and the rich man, and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died not in faith and was buried, and being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So the apostle is teaching the Thessalonians, and therefore by extension us, that that, that knowing the destination of a follower of Jesus who departs produces hope, not confusion. Now, there's still emotions. Notice he doesn't say we don't sorrow. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say we don't grieve. He says we don't sorrow and grieve as others who have no hope. No hope of what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's what they don't have the hope of. But he, he leaves room for grieving. We still grieve, but not hopelessly because of the resurrection from the dead. Now, when people say to you, and if you weren't here two Sundays ago, you could listen to it online or get a copy of these things called CDs, um, free of charge. When people say to you when, when you lose a loved one, uh, hey, listen, when a believing person dies or passes, you shouldn't grieve uh, my suggestion to you is to ignore them and walk away <laughs> no sense in talking to that person why would you talk to that person you know it's just like that they're they're are you going to just reveal more insensitivity <laughs> are, are are you, are you going to be like you know i just lost my husband my wife my kid my my mom my dad my best friend or whatever and i and i'm supposed to think i'm supposed to think nothing Again, we quoted this two weeks ago, Evangelist Leighton Ford, when he, when he lost his son at the age of 21, the struggle is to bring our faith and our emotions together. And that takes time. We quoted this verse too of Philippians 2.27, when Epaphroditus was with the Apostle Paul and almost died. For indeed he was sick, almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So if he died, the apostle Paul said I was about to have sorrow upon sorrow. What, what would 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 you think he would walk up to you and go, "Oh, listen, he went to heaven. Why are you grieving?" No, he he wouldn't think that at all. You see, here's the thing. Bad theology produces bad information. Let me say that again because it's so simple. I think sometimes those simple things just go right through us. Bad theology produces bad information. Bad theology produces apathy. Bad theology produces extremism. Bad theology confuses many people. And bad theology turns most unbelieving people completely off. If we don't carefully study the word of God, we may find ourselves susceptible to false teachers and end up ignorant, uninformed, or just plain wrong, flat out wrong. So the the Apostle's letters often connects many of our problems to the ignorance of our faith. It's a very common thing that you see. And he also connects a lot of our blessings, not necessarily material with an accurate knowledge of the faith. That's why I applaud you guys. You come out on Wednesday night. And and rather than fire up the end-time speculation and conspiracy theories, Pastor Paul is seeking to help them. It says, verse 14, for if, some of your verses say, since we believe, what, what we believe we trust, what do we believe? He gives us the good news. That Jesus dies and rose again. That's the good news. We believe that, he's saying. He's, He's going over the basics with them. Let's go back to the basics. Since if we believe that, because we believe that, that Jesus died and rose from the dead, even so God will bring with him, with Jesus, those who sleep in Jesus. In other words, those who have already preceded us in death, who were died in faith, who are they with? They're with Jesus. So should we be worried about them? No. Some of the Thessalonians must have been like, whoo, right there. Let's go have coffee and cook cake now, man. This is good stuff. We don't need any more. We, we don't have to worry about it. In other words, Jesus rose from the dead, went to heaven, so will all those who trust in Jesus, and die in faith. He goes on, verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that's an important statement. He's like, listen, I got this from Jesus, man. He told me this. That we, he includes himself, who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. In other words, they beat us to it. We're worried they got left behind. We got left behind. They beat us to it. They're not going to miss out on anything. So again, he skillfully starts with what they know and what we know, what happened to Jesus. He died, he rose again, and we know that he ascended into heaven. The same will be true, he's saying, for those who turn to him and put their trust in him a truth we need to be reminded of over and over again and not yawn at. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to heaven. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to heaven. Some of you don't look too thrilled about that. Like, yeah, but I still got to go to work tomorrow. Maybe not. (laughs) Maybe not. We don't know. Now, one thing I notice about the Apostle Paul, he's like the energizer bunny of Christians. Is, is that it's one thing that seemed to keep him going was he never lost his wonder of the cross and the resurrection. That is so critical to making it in the Christian life. That is so critical to being motivated by grace to serve God. That is so critical to constantly keeping in front of you the forgiveness of sins and eternal life because of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because... Other than that, you're just like, well, I hope, you know, I I hope I'm going to make it. But 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 the Apostle Paul, it's a certainty of the facts that the that the promises of God are backed up with proof. Jesus came. He did all those miracles. And if that wasn't enough, he died on the cross. He rose from the dead and 500 people saw him. Apostle Paul said, you can go ask a lot of them. A lot of them are still alive. And so he backed it up with proof. So here's the apostle's logic. If God was faithful to raise Jesus from the dead, as he promised, he will be faithful to raise all those that are in Jesus too. You can count on it. So our hope, our certainty, is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and God's ability and faithfulness to keep his promises to followers of Jesus that's what it's in uh, my, my hope you know is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and will do the same for us now interesting thing about Jesus Jesus death is not referred to as sleep that that's a nice thing for us we sort of like go Boop. oh here I, wow look where i am no no Jesus actually endured death he actually endured the separation from his heavenly father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So all those who put their trust in Jesus will never have to endure that separation. Never have to. If you haven't put your trust in Jesus, then that separation is going to be something that you're going to experience. That's serious stuff. That's, that's, that, that's cause for concern for sure. It's because of the death of Jesus Christ Those who trust in him only experience sleep in the sense of they close their eyes and they immediately wake up in the presence of God. Therefore, the apostles teaching them there is nothing to worry about about those who died in Christ. Now, those who didn't die in Christ, what do we do? We have no other choice other than to commit them to a just, holy, and good God. We have no other choice than to say, you know what, we don't know what happened in the final moments of their life. We, we, we don't know. But we know God is good. We know that people are not going to object to them. Nobody's going to be like, oh, I object to the ruling. You know, I object. That's not going to happen. Overruled. This also gives us great confidence of the future to all here in verse 14 who believe, to all of us who have a response of faith and trust to the good news that Jesus died and Jesus rose from the dead. Now, skeptics say, well, it appears that the Apostle Paul thought that Jesus would come in his lifetime. Sounds like he did. Sounds like he did. He says, we, he identifies with the Bible readers. But that's what they taught. They taught that Jesus and the Apostles taught, not that he was coming back in their lifetime, they thought they thought he was come. They thought he was coming quickly. Talk to any those of you who are younger. Talk to people a little bit older, and they'll go. I was your age yesterday. <laughs> yesterday. I always tease Pam. I always say, you know, when you walk in a room, I feel like a junior high boy still. <laughs> right? She's like, you remember what that feels like? I go, like it was yesterday. <laughs> and so. And so. All this kind of stuff can happen very, very quickly. 2 Corinthians 4.14, he says, the apostle says, knowing that he who raised us up, raised up the Lord Jesus, will also raise us up with Jesus. Notice with Jesus. Once again, we will be with a person and will present us with you. So the great hope is the resurrection. And as we move into the next section, the great hope is the coming of the Lord Jesus again. So, verse 16 and 17 take us into the controversy. Now, let's stop right for one second. And remember, no matter where you come down on this, or you might not come down on this at all, no matter where you come down, what was the purpose of the passage? Comfort. Encouragement. That's how he ends it. He moves into another subject in chapter 5. So that's the, that's how he, that's how, that's the end of it. He says for the Lord, verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. That is the Latin word for rapture, rapto, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and result. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now, this is something that will rub a billion people the wrong way, so that's fine. If I don't do that once in a while, I don't feel like I preach the gospel. Um, If we believe the word of God, we must admit the meaning of this text is not in question. Our interpretation is. (laughs) Okay? So the meaning is not in question. Our interpretation is. The, The term... Caught up means to seize, to snatch away. Uh, you know, I was hanging out with my grandson the other day, and I kept rapturing him. Right, <laughs> right. You get into something, and they're like, "Yeah, come here." Right, and uh, you know, like trying to do stuff and, and break stuff, and all that kind of stuff. So I was rapturing him. One of the things that, you, if you live around here, you, you every once in a while you'll see some little animal running around, and all of a sudden a bird comes. Snatches them up. And and the idea is that that it's a force that cannot be resisted. That's the idea of the terminology here. So it's unmistakable that Christ's sudden return. He's talking about those that are, are in Christ. The Christ's sudden return for his church is what we see here. And that is very important. But again... I want to repeat it again, also unmistakable, regardless of whatever interpretation or view you take, the purpose is comfort, encouragement. He's trying to comfort them, not in necessarily getting all of the details right, but in the place he's going to take us in a couple minutes. Now, if we argue, and I'm all for the discussion on this, I'm all for the debate on this when it when it when it's done in a civil manner, because people who debate such things are well-informed Christians. They are they are brothers, they are sisters, they should not be arrogant with each other, they should not be demeaning with each other. There's absolutely no cause for that at all. And 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 so whatever position they take, right. Or if we discount this, you know, being caught up, this rapture, if we, if, we, if we do all of those things, I believe we've lost the meaning of the text. It's important to realize the Apostle Paul here is not writing so we would know the timing of every end times event. So let's just find the points where we think we can all agree. You know, churches split over this stuff. I I can I'm 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 dumbfounded that this has happened. Let's how can we agree? Jesus Himself is coming again for His church. I don't think you could read that and not think that's true. Jesus is coming again for His church. The dead will not miss out; those who died in Christ, and we should look forward to it. I think most of us could say we could, no matter what position you take, we could agree on that. The debate centers on when Jesus will come and if it will be in one stage or two. Now, here's where I really get myself into trouble. Um, I'm not so sure he answers that here. I personally think it's a two-stage thing. But first he comes for his church, then he comes in judgment. But I'm not so sure those are answered here. Maybe part one is answered here, not necessarily part two. He says again, verse 16, For the Lord himself, Jesus himself personally, will descend from heaven. He's saying Jesus is coming back. Now, almost all of the books of the New Testament... Uh, refer to the certainty of the return of Jesus Christ. Some Bible scholars say it could be in the New Testament as much as one out of every 30 verses have some either direct reference or shadowy reference to the return of Jesus Christ. Some Bible scholars say that the second coming of Jesus Christ, and again, it can be one one phase or two phases, that the second coming of Jesus Christ is mentioned eight times more than the first coming. That means that this is mentioned eight times more than Christmas. (laughs) Boy, how that would sink our economy. (laughs) Why? I think the reason is so followers of Jesus would be joyfully expecting his return would be anticipating it, would be be looking forward to it. But as we've seen many times before, and we saw last time we were together in this section, it's not a passive waiting. We are to be motivated by grace to love and serve the returning king. So once again, the Thessalonian church, question about the dead does seem to indicate that they believed that the return of Jesus would be sudden. They were like, you know, what's going to happen? He's going to come, and we're out of there, and he's going to come. So let's continue with verse 16. He says, he will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Now, a lot of people will debate, is that figurative? Is that uh, literal? A uh, lot of people would say it's going to be silent, but it seems to me that it could be kind of noisy. <laughs> so um, lots of speculation what each term means. Is, is it all separate things or all is it one? Uh, to me, I, I, I try to just make it as, as simple as I can. I look, at the, I look at the fact that he is going to descend from heaven, that he is going to forcefully take people with him, and to me I'm just going to boil it down to an authoritative call of Jesus Christ gathering his people. Now, there's billions of debates over the trumpets. I mean, my goodness, trumpet debates is, is all over the place. So sometimes it means war, In the book of Revelation, there's seven trumpets. So some people think it's the last trumpet. A lot of times it's the gathering of God's people. When they wanted God's people to come together, they would gather them with the trumpet. That seems to be a little bit more what's going on here, but that's me. Verse 16 ends, he says, And the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, don't worry about them. They're they're not going to miss it. What's important is that you are in Christ. That's what's important. That's all we can do about any of us that are here tonight or listening, however you're listening. And you become in Christ. You will be dead in Christ. You will rise in Christ if you put your trust in Jesus instead of yourself, in his life, death, and resurrection instead of your good works. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, and 52. Behold. I tell you a mystery. Now, a mystery in the Bible is not something we don't know. It's something that previously we didn't know, but now is being revealed. We shall not all sleep. We're not all going to sleep. We're not all going to die. But we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. See, more trumpet talk. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. To me, seems like the last event. Seems like the same event that's going on here in, in First Thessalonians chapter four. Other people feel differently. So, how will this happen? Uh, people have been debating this for centuries, and and sadly, to me, for a lot of people, the debate has taken away the joy of the Lord's return. So I, I have a position. You're telling me, like, do you have a position? I have a position. I will state my position. And, and if your position is different, that's okay. You are my brother. You are my sister. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, I promise not to gloat when we get to heaven that I was right and you were wrong. <laughs> but that, But the point is that together, regardless of what our position on timing is, We can come together and rejoice in the coming of the Lord. Leon Morris, the Australian New Testament Bible scholar who wrote in the 1950s, from the 1950s to the 1990s, who takes a different position than I am, and he's a much smarter guy than me, wrote this. There are many things we would like to know, but the Bible was not written to satisfy our curiosity. Hmm, Imagine that. Rather, it is intended to help us in our Christian lives. And for that, the important thing is to be ready when the Lord comes. That's the important thing, to be ready when the Lord comes. So let me ask you a question. Are you ready? Are you ready? The three of you are. (laughs) The rest of you, oh well. (laughs) Now, why is this so important? Why, why, why is this so important? Well, one of the things I think it's so important is it's very easy to miss the point of of what the Apostle Paul has been making to the Thessalonians. The important point, and in, here, in, in, remember, he went from purity to working hard to leading a quiet life. Don't don't be disruptive to the world. Tell people about Jesus. To this. And and the point he's making to us is it's important to be concerned with how we live in light of the Lord's return. But too often, many people aren't concerned about how we live. They're concerned about when. So the signs and the dates begin to take priority for many. Now, if you're concerned about how you live... I'm not saying you shouldn't concern yourself with times and dates, but you don't have to worry that you're, if you're wrong. <laughs> you don't have to worry at all if you're wrong. The Lord's not going to be like, well, you trusted in my son, but yeah, you got your, you got your eschatology all messed up. <laughs> I, I, I really believe that, the God, that God has given us all the information we need and instead of dates, we should be concerned with living the Christian life. All right, here we go into verse uh, 17. I'll read it through twice. First, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Let's go slowly. Then we who are alive and remain... Shall be at the point of the time of this event. Here's the sauce of the debate. We shall be caught up together. That's it. Big debate, huh? Greek word harpazo. Latin translation. We said already rapture, raptō. Now you say, well, what do I care about the? I, what do I care about the Latin translation? Well, for about a 1,000 years, the most popular Bible was the Latin Vulgate. That was the most popular version. Now, some of you are like, no, I read the version that Jesus read, the King James Version. No, that didn't come along till a lot later. But a lot of people think that's the version Jesus read. If you don't believe me, you haven't spent enough time down south. And so... It says that we'll be caught up together with them who those who were dead in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now that word meet is very interesting. It, has to, it was used in the ancient world to used when um, people in a city went out to meet the king or a dignitary. Here the people are brought out to meet the king or the dignitary. And then he says... And thus we shall always be with the Lord. So this is the doctrine of the rapture of the church, this strange doctrine of meeting the Lord in the air. Now, the Bible begins at the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. If you can get past that one, you can get past anything else. (laughs) You can get past anything else. So let's, let's go to an extremely scholarly guy that I, I read him quite often. His name is Kenneth Wiest. And uh, he is a Greek scholar, and he uh, went after the words, uh, this, this idea of being uh, caught up, uh, what it means in the New Testament. It means to catch away speedily. That's what happened to Philip in Acts chapter 8. It can mean to seize by force. That's what happened, what the people wanted to do to Jesus when they wanted to make him king. It it can mean to claim something for oneself. It's Jesus claims the church as his bride. It could mean to move to a new place. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking in 2 Corinthians. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. It could mean to rescue from danger. Acts 23, the Apostle Paul was taken by force from the crowds uh, to safety. In the Old Testament, we see uh, two guys, Enoch and Elijah, they were caught up. Jesus himself ascended into heaven. Hebrews 11.5 says this, "...by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony..." that he pleased God. So we believe it because it's in the Bible. Again, the debate for most Bible scholars, most, not all, but most, is not the reality of the rapture, but the timing of it. It's not the reality that the Lord is coming for his people, but when is he coming? Now now we get into some real confusing stuff. So Hope you had your extra coffee or something like that. Take a swig if you got it. The issue in many ways is related to what we call the Great Tribulation. Now, the Great Tribulation, I'm going to simplify it, and those of you guys who know a lot of stuff, you're going to be like, you oversimplified it, and I know I am, and I told you I am. (laughs) The Great Tribulation is, let's just call it, the final seven years of this age very simple terms. Now, it's important to know that in in, in the second half, let's just say the seven years, about three and a half years or so into it, a fellow by the name of the Antichrist will greatly persecute the people of God that are here, who will still be here. That's part of the debate. Okay, so that's why we say that a lot of people are always playing pin the tail on the Antichrist because they're always trying to figure out who he is. Um, now, some people will say that the tribulation doesn't really start till about three and a half years in, so it's really the great tribulation is three and a half years. I would be willing to concede that. For, for our sake, we're just going to, in our discussion, we're going to use it as seven years. Seven years seem peaceful. Last three and a half seem really, really bad. So... It's easier to think of it, but if someone wants to say, well, really the tribulation, the really bad part was the last three and a half, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. So if that's you, there we go. So the three most well-known positions regarding the rapture are the pre-tribulation, meaning that Jesus will take his people out before all of the stuff even begins. Uh, The mid-tribulation, that Jesus will come in the middle of it before... You know, or right around the the time when things really get bad, or the post-tribulation, where that the people of God won't be taken out, and they're going to live through it. Now, here's where I have to admit something to you. Okay, I was weaned in a church where the pastor was a Dallas Seminary graduate, and Dallas Theological Seminary is one of the meccas of pre-tribulation eschatology. So, I mean, that's what I, w- that's what I was weaned on. That is the, that is the Calvary Chapel position. So I, I, I've, I went from a, a primarily uh, Baptist church in New York City. We went to various places, and then, and then Pam and I moved to a, a Baptist church out in Union County where a Denver Seminary guy went, and he believed in it, and then we joined Calvary Chapel. So that's sort of been our, our history with that. Um, so I, I've been a um, pre-tribulational proponent. Um, however, what I'm about to say is what gets me into trouble with everybody. I'm fine being in trouble with everybody. And I will say this. I appreciate the passion and the well-thought-out positions of my Christian, Christ-loving brothers and sisters who take the other positions. And I've read them all. I, I haven't been convinced by them yet. Maybe I will be. I don't know. But I haven't been convinced. But, but, but I love them. I love those people than my brothers and sisters. And, and, and I'm not saying it's not important, but I am saying it's more important that I love them than I call them heretics for having a different position on the end times. And again, I know I get myself in trouble with a lot of people when I say stuff like that, but, but, but I, I don't think that way. Personally, I am much more concerned about the man-centered watered-down gospel that's being preached in the American church that people among people who could care less about the end of the age. That 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 concerns me a lot more. I am much more concerned about the uncharitable position that a lot of people take when people feel differently about things on secondary issues. That that, that things that are not going to keep you out of heaven. So so I believe in baptism by immersion, okay? I do. I believe in believer's baptism. I don't, I don't believe in baptizing babies. I understand why people do it, but I don't. But when someone says we symbolically baptize babies, that's fine. I'm fine with that. That's what you do. That's what you do. I get it. I get it. I don't agree with you. You don't agree with me, but still, we believe in the gospel. But when somebody crosses the line and says, that's the way you go to heaven, now we got a problem now i have a big problem with them on that now now that's not we're not now we're not talking about the same thing now we're not talking about being saved by grace right now we're talking about being saved by by something like that so some of you are are, are probably more convinced of some of these things than i am or let's put it see this way you you might not be more convinced than i am but you're more strident in wanting to debate these things <laughs> with your relatives who are Christians at the Thanksgiving table while the unbelieving people watch you and go, what have they been drinking? <laughs> like, what, did you spike the punch? <laughs> More recently, um, there's some problems with the mid-tribulation position. So I'm, I'm being honest with you. And and it, and it's caused some people to be replacing it with something called the... Um, pre-wrath position and in the pre-wrath position they're going to uh, meet the antichrist but they're going to be taken out before God's wrath Um, so instead of the rapture occurring in the middle of the tribulation it occurs again prior before God pouring out his wrath in the day of the Lord sometime in the second half so in the pre-tribulation the mid-tribulation and the pre-wrath it is a two-stage event what, what you say, "Why do, you, why do you, what do you mean by that? Christ comes for the church, and the church goes to him. They meet in the air. And then at another point in time, Christ comes back and actually lands on earth, and then things really begin to change. So in in most of the positions, that's the belief that they take. It's a two-stage event. In the post-event, it is all one thing. Now, I appreciate the scholarship. I'm terrified at the thought. <laughs> like, I don't want to be here for it. <laughs> so so that, doesn't make, that doesn't make the theology of it right, but I certainly don't want to be here for it. And I don't, certainly don't see Paul saying, oh, you think this is bad now? It's going to get a lot worse. So forget about the comfort and encouragement. So throughout history, different views have won the day. Not essential to salvation, But it is important. To me, the most important thing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is this statement at the end of verse 17. We got verse 17 again? Look at the very end. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. That to me is the most important thing. Every view believes that. That no matter what somebody's view is, we can come to the agreement on that. Everybody believes that it is irreversible. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from one another. So if a, if a, if a pre-trib brother and a pre-pre-rath sister get married, right, they can still both go to heaven. It's okay. It's okay. And this is guaranteed because it's signed in the blood of Jesus Christ shed at the cross and because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a certainty in a world of uncertainty. So why why does Paul want them to know this? Why does Paul want them to be certain of the fact that the Lord is coming and we shall always be with him? Well, let's look at the negative. What does uncertainty do to our faith? What does uncertainty do to our hope? What does uncertainty do to our joy? But the certainty of always being with the Lord gives us hope and joy. There's an old baseball illustration regarding the end times, and it goes something like this. Um, You step up to the plate, and, and you're expecting the pitcher to throw a fastball. So you have your view on the end times. You're expecting the Lord to throw a fastball. And if he throws a curve, what are you going to do? Not swing the bat? <laughs> and, so, and so we want to be certain that the Lord is returning and we will always be with him. Dare I say that this certainty of we shall always be with the Lord is the point of these verses. Why? Why? Because this was what they were worried about. This was what he was addressing. And he's giving them great hope in death. The the Apostle Paul gives great hope for those who have died before us in Christ. And interesting, he says, we will be caught up together with them. Verse 18, he says, therefore, comfort or encourage One another with these words. Don't fight. Don't argue. You can you can vigorously debate, but you don't have to divide. Don't be afraid. Be excited. See, he began this section with uncertainty. And he ends with comfort. And he did it in six verses. (laughs) And people have been arguing about this playing thing for 2,000 years. Are there other places where it seems more clear? It is, and, and a lot of it depends upon the way you approach the Bible, how much of it you take literally, literal intent, um, how much of you take allegorically, symbolically. It's a, it's a whole different thing. But certainly, he is not writing here, to cause an argument in the Thessalonian church. No, he's he's trying to calm their hearts. He's trying to teach them and us that the word of God has the final say when it comes to death. And the base of our encouragement is being raised with Christ, being with the Lord Jesus forever, which is why it's important that you know the Lord now. For a follower of Jesus, let us not get uh, used to the idea. Even in the sadness of death, let us be encouraged that we will be with the Lord. Jesus' famous words in John 14, he said this, Let not your heart be troubled. So what's Jesus doing? He's comforting them. He is encouraging them the same way the Apostle Paul was. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, listen here, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. And Thomas asked him, where was the way? And Jesus explained to him and said, "It's not a it's not a path; it's a person. And knowing Jesus, we will be with the Lord always, irreversible, done deal. All you need to do is put your trust in Jesus Christ. Well, let's stand and pray."